0: This afternoon, we are back in our series that we started last week um, on the church. And uh, last week was our introduction. It was a bit of an overview as we looked at the birth or the origin of the church. And we examined the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And the sentence that we kept hearing last Sunday to kind of summarize our time together was that you were not just saved from something you were also saved to something. So not not just saved from your sin, but also saved to be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, That when you and I put faith in Jesus to be the King and Lord of our lives, that God redeemed you and has now saved you to be part of a new family, a new people group who have a citizenship in a different kingdom. So today we're going to look one chapter over in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to focus on the last two verses of the chapter and then dip into the beginning of chapter 4. So let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 3, right at the very end, verses 20 and 21. Uh, read along with me. It says, Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort effort to keep uh, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Thanks be to God for his word this afternoon. It is so good. It is living and active. It changes our hearts. So we're thankful for that today. Well, as we unpack these verses today, here's where we're headed. Um, Kind of this overarching thought is the ultimate peak uh, of importance in this life for all things is the glory of God. It's the ultimate summit of this life. Therefore, two things. One, the church is important. It's important to the whole world knowing this. And secondly, the church is important to you personally personally as you walk in this purpose. And that leads kind of to this overarching main thought for our sermon today, and that's this, that your connection to the local church is fundamental to walking in the plans and purposes of God for your life and for this world. We're going to say that a lot today. I'll say it one more time, though. Your connection to the local church is fundamental to walking in the plans and purposes of God for your life and for this world. Uh, over the months that we've been praying for this series, the elders of our church have been asking the Lord to, to use this time to, to teach us, to help it, let it be a catalyst of sorts. We talked about this morning that flashes memories back to chemistry and high school and how much fun and dangerous that was to be a catalyst for the Lord changing us and conforming us more and more into what we ought to be in His body in this area uh, many of you will know the joy of hill walking, being out in the hills, being uh, spending time just delighting in being out there in the, the beauty of God's creation. Over the years, I've had uh, the opportunity to spend a lot of time out in the hills, and there is nothing like taking those final few steps and extending your hand and placing it upon the cairn at the top, the summit. There's just something exhilarating about it. Um, I don't care if it's a clear day, if it's a foggy day, this, that feeling is the same every time. Now, the view's not always great, but the feeling is there of accomplishment, and it's fantastic. One of my favorite hills in Scotland has been Lars. And after walking it once, I enjoyed it so much that I have since taken friends back many, many times. Over and over again, I've gone back and, and walked it. And, and each time I walk this hill, it seems like I have a very familiar experience, similar experience. If you've never walked it, the way you approach it is you actually have to walk over another Monroe, Ben Glass, to get to it. You don't have to, but you're supposed to. You cheat if you go around. But you walk over a Ben Glass before you descend just a bit, just at the foot of the summit, and you you make the approach up to the the cairn there in Ben Lars. And and each time, there's this sense of anticipation as you're walking up Ben Glass, waiting to catch the first glimpse of that summit, of the the one you're going to climb. You know, the first one's nice, it's good, but that's not your goal. You know the goal is on the other side and you can't see it. And there's so much anticipation to finally, oh, there it is. I'll take a wee break on the top of this one before I make my way down and then go right back up. And, uh, and each time I've had a similar experience. I get to the bottom right as I'm ready to approach it. And I have these this, this same thoughts every time of, I don't remember it being this steep. <laughs> last time, it didn't feel like it was this steep. Uh, or, or I don't remember this last little bit. It just felt like it was that far to the top from this where we start right here. But no, it's so far. Uh, and without fail, those final few steps are taken with legs that are burning. They're on fire. And, and, but with a heart that is full of amazement, especially on a clear day when you can look out and see layer after layer of hills in the distance, just the grandeur of the surrounding view. And it feels like you're sitting on top of the world, admiring the, the view. It's a glorious feeling. As you and I pursue following Jesus, the peak that we are pursuing, the summit marker that, that is situated overlooking everything else is the glory of God. The glory of God is the cairn that we are meant to climb towards. And that's what our passage tells us verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And if you were here Wednesday night, you Mark unpacked a bit of that in the preceding verses of what all that meant. Verse 21 says, To him be glory. To that one, to him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God is meant to be at the center of what every single one of us orient our lives. Alexander McLaren was a 19th century Baptist pastor, originally from Glasgow. And his commentary on this verse, uh, in his commentary, this is how he described the idea of God's glory. He says, "...the glory of God is the luster of His own perfect character." the bright sum total of all the blended brilliances that compose his name. love that. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? When that light is welcomed and adored by men, they are said to give glory to God. God's glory is infinite in measure. You, You can't capture how big and how massive it is. What we're doing when we give God glory is we're actually... Just rightly acknowledging what is already true, we're just agreeing with the truth. We're we're not actually adding. When we use that a lot of times. We can we can be confused and think, "Well, I'm actually giving God glory, so that's increasing the glory." That's, we're not. We're actually just agreeing with what is already true. That God, you are most worthy of glory. We send that very first song, that bridge, that you know, that um, worthy is the Lamb who came. Worthy is the you know, the, uh, He who conquered the grave. God's glory is infinite. And and this is meant to be the main overarching goal and desire of our life. But verse 21 isn't its own standalone verse. The truth of 21 flows out of the verse before it, verse 20, which points us to relationship with God. God who is able to do more than we ask or think. That same God is the one that we are meant to have communication and connection with And that's implicit right in the verse, that that God is the one that we share our deepest thoughts, our deepest desires, the deepest things in our hearts with, our deepest longings, our hurts, our pains, our problems. And because we have that kind of relationship with Him, we have the Spirit within us working mightily and powerfully. Therefore, this is not just a good idea to pursue the glory of God. It's actually God's design and His purpose for all creation, but especially for us, for, for humanity, for, and, and even more specifically for His followers. And we know that because Paul specifically names the church and Christ as the tip of the spear for the glorification of God. And it is right that God receive the glory due His name through Jesus. It is only right. Jesus is worthy of all the glory and honor that can be given to Him. Um, Think about the story of Jesus, and Samuel already read this earlier in Philippians 2, but Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or something to be held onto or grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of, Death, even to death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To the glory of God, the Father. All that Jesus willingly did to make much of the goodness of God and therefore reconcile us to God It makes his story the main story that that should be told as the glory of God is made much of throughout the earth. And Paul also lists the church there because these two are really connected. That Jesus' work produced the church and the church can't tell its story apart from Christ. We can't tell anything. we, We aren't anything without Christ We can't tell our own individual stories of following, of being changed, of having hope and having peace and having what we have now without talking about Christ. There's no credit to be given. There's no credit for being different or having a sacrificial love to one another or that we have a message of hope. None of that can be talked about apart from the work of Christ in our lives. Therefore, these two things are inseparable. Um, for some time, there's a book that we've been giving to, to folks who've been coming into membership. It's a book by by Tony Marita called "Love Your Church." And uh, in the very first chapter of the book, very early on, he's he's very clear in this in this connection. Tony Tony makes the point that Jesus so closely identified the church with himself that when Paul was person with Saul was persecuting the church before he became Paul, he's on his way to. Damascus to persecute the church and Jesus meets him there and he says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me he didn't say why are you persecuting the church why are you persecuting me so whether we like it or not the body of Christ has been tasked with being the vehicle that God has chosen to make much of his great name in this world so we together are central to that pursuit And that means a couple of things for us. One, it means that you and I individually, well, we're not the most important people in the story. (laughs) We're not the main character. We often read ourselves into the role of main character or protagonist when we read and we consider the Scriptures. We easily read ourselves into the text. Without even trying, we can think that, that when the writers of Scripture use the word you, that they're literally writing it to, to me and to you in, in the sense that I can only apply this to, to my life. And, and it is right and good to apply the Scripture to our life, but, but we, when we read passages that, like this where we see the word you it's, and it's meaning plural, We can't fully apply it to our life. We have to understand that in the full context of application, it's applied to the church. So yes, we take from this and we say, yeah, of course I can see that I need to live worthy of the calling that I've been called. But I can only fully apply this if I think about the church. This verse in Ephesians 3 is written to a plural you. It's written to a local church, and it's rightly applied to a local church. It's speaking in terms of a plurality of people, a community. And when we forget that, we miss the point that this passage is saying that our lives together, together, that the the connectedness of the activity of our life as a church family is to be about this pursuit. Yeah, we should be about that individually, but we can only fully be about that task in the way God wants us to be. If we are connected with the local church and not only my life or your life singularly, but together we're about that pursuit. So when I say that the glory of God is meant to be the peak, the summit of our lives, I'm speaking with understanding that we're actually living life together to do that. Um, therefore the church is important to your life, whether you recognize it or not. And, and that's because you can't fulfill this purpose in your life without the connection to the family of faith. Your connection to the local church is fundamental to walking in the plans and purposes of God for your life and for this world. And we're going to continue to unpack that and what that means uh, for you and for me in just a minute. But there's something else we need to see from the end of verse 21. Look at it again with me. It says, verse 21, to him be glory, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The title of our sermon is The Importance of the Church, and that's because the church is important. It's important, uh, not just to me, not just to Paul, not just to Mark, but the church is important to God's plan and design for the world. It's it's God's plan and His intention for the church to be the way that the world hears the message of the gospel. We're going to go over this in more detail in the coming weeks as Mark jumps in and talks about other um, the objectives of the church, the mission of the church, the culture of the church. But what God has called the church to impact is not just our individual lives, uh, not just our neighbors or our, our neighborhoods where we live locally. We have been given the opportunity, us here, we have been given the opportunity to be a part of a global task of demonstrating the greatness of God's glory to the peoples of the world throughout the generations to come. And we are charged with being about the task to take it to every single people on the earth. We have a role to play within. That is amazing. Us here in this corner of Glasgow, we have a role to play in that. That's astonishing. We're part of a task that's bigger than any of us individually, and not just for a season, not just for a portion of our lives, but from now on, this will be our responsibility. When Paul uses that last phrase, forever and ever. He's not just describing the time from now until when Christ returns and, and time is suspended or however that's going to work. The, the phrase in the Greek literally means age of ages. Age of ages. I mean, that's like incomprehensible. Uh, I always laugh when Mark says we're in eternity, we're, you know, for billions and billions and billions of years. I'm like, that isn't, in my brain, doesn't even make sense, like that number. I can't even think about it. Just like this, this phrase, age of ages. One commentary on this phrase made the point that the church, consisting of all born-again believers in Christ, will be an eternal entity, offering up endless praise, age after age. (laughs) So... Millennium after millennium after millennium. This also reminds us of what Paul wrote just, just a chapter before this in chapter 2, 6 and 7. He says, he also raised the Father, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know, I feel like when I came to faith, I experienced the goodness of God in my life, that I saw what Paul's talking about, the immeasurable riches of God's grace to me, that I was wretched and rebellious and fully deserve the wrath of God in my life. But what Paul is saying here is, it's not just you experience that when you come to faith, but in the coming ages, eternally, God's vast goodness, it's so big. His love is so big and deep that we will never get to the end of experiencing it. He will continue to be revealing it over and over and over. And we will never see the fullness of it. And that is just mind-boggling. From now on, we will be about the task of delighting in and making much of His glory. And here in this life, that means telling the world about this message. In the age to come, when we're with Christ, we'll be continually delighting in and declaring over and over the the glory of God to one another as we behold Him in person. The church is so important to this world because it is the vehicle that God has designed to declare the glory to all generations. Therefore, your connection to the local church is fundamental to walking in the plans and purposes of God for your life and for this world church is important for the world, but it's also important for you personally. It's it's potentially more important than than we even recognize or even dare to dream. And that's because of something I already said, that this letter is not written to one person, not written to an individual. For you and me to fully and most appropriately apply this to our lives, there, there needs to be connection to the life of the local church. At the beginning of of chapter 4, we find this pivot point in the book of of Ephesians. The first three chapters are are all like huge, grandiose statements of salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You know, all these big things. In love, He predestined us to adoption, that we might be sons. And He goes on and on, these big, huge statements of truth. But then you get to chapter 4, and there's this kind of this pivot point, almost like this seesaw teetering of, of moving towards more practical application, more exhortation and, and instruction. So let's read these verses again together in, in chapter 4. Verse 1 says, Therefore, because of all the stuff that's come in verses, in chapters 1 to 3, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verses 2 and 3, they they affirm that this is meant to be read and applied as a community. Uh, The commands to be patient with one another, bear one another, uh, to be unified, they're obviously meant to be for a group of people. Uh, And and that's, for a long time I I read this and I misread this passage. I read it as in the fact that this is for me. I fell into that same trap I just talked about a minute ago, and and I'm still prone to this if I'm not really careful. Verse 1 commands us to walk worthy of the calling we have received. For me, trying to undertake that communal command as an individual is so freeing. It, it, it's, but it, it's, it's pretty. I mean, if I think about it individually, the trap I fall into is daunting. The idea of pursuing this it just takes me to this cliff edge where I'm just kind of teetering over the edge of falling into this works-based mentality. If I'm not careful, where in my mind I'm tempted to think things like Christ did this huge, massive thing for me, and now I have I have to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. I have to to walk worthy, so that so that I can be worthy, and then and thankfully the Spirit and His goodness reminds me, no, you, you're not worthy, Christ made you worthy. You won't ever be worthy apart from Christ, and so oh, thank you, Lord, like, that's that's great. And so then I maybe correct the theology, uh, the the theology a little bit, and and uh, and I, and I, and then I fall into the trap of saying, man, I love Christ, I love what He's done for me, I want to live in a worthy, in a manner that's worthy the way I've been called. But man, I've, I'm a sinner. I've fallen. I've already done that today. I've already sinned. I'm prideful. I'm arrogant. I'm, I'm all these things. I'm unfaithful. I'm, Lord, I'm, so, oh, I'm terrible. And then I fall into this place of guilt, heaping guilt on myself, when Christ actually freed me from all of that. And so I, I wrongly read this as, when I read it as an individual. And that's not what this command is about whatsoever, Both a better understanding of of the audience that this is written to, as well as doing a little bit of discovery of what Paul is actually talking about has helped me so much with this. Pastor and and commentator Kent Hughes notes this, that the Greek word translated worthy right here in this verse is the word axios, which has the root idea of weight, being weighty, a weight, a a unit of measurement. And Hughes goes on to talk about the idea of maths. Equations, And some of you in the room are going to love this part, and some of you are already, like, screensaver has already gone over your eyes when I said the word maths. Um, But uh, I don't know if you, you, like me, remember back to maths class and and doing equations. And I know that today, based on what my children bring home from school, that they are learning maths in a whole different way than I learned maths. But I think it still holds true that when you work with equations, what you do with one side, you have to do with the other side to balance it out. And Jane's not along. So that's a good thing that Jane's not along with me. But uh, And that's the, the equation has to be balanced so that it remains true. And that's what the word axios points to, which is where we get the word axiom from. And his point is that Paul is saying that we should try to live lives equal to the great blessings described in chapters 1 to 3 that just as the work of Christ was applied to my life in such a way that it drew me to Christ, that it saved me, that it, it redeemed me through the power of the Spirit in order for me to begin walking with Christ, so now on this side, as I walk with Christ, I don't have to do that on my own. The power of the Spirit is applied to my life. The work of Christ still applied to my life so that I can fully live out this life the way He's called me to do that. We're meant to live out the balance of what we see and not carry a weight we can't carry. In Christ, we recognize that this has nothing to do with ourselves, that he's the one that saved us. And Paul's intention is for us to lean into that empowering work of the Spirit in us, to delight in this, his unthinkable love for us. And now the key is we get to do that in community. And that's, that's the whole point. We do it in community, which maximizes the effect of all of this. You can't read 4.1 without remembering that it follows chapter 3, verse 21. I know there's a chapter break there, but it follows right after this verse. Don't forget that all of this is about the glory of God. The glory of God is the peak overlooking all things. And the reason the church is important for your life and for my life is that it is the means by which we most fully pursue and make much of the glory of God. In the weeks to come, we're going to look at the culture of the church. I think actually that's next week, the culture of the church. And Mark's going to impact verses like what we see in verses 2 and 3 here of chapter 4. And for now, let's, we're going to leave this and, uh, and just simply understand that your life and my life are extremely dependent upon being connected to the rest of the body, body to fully carry out all that God intends for us. And as you combine all these verses from the end of 3 and chapter 4 there... You can't escape the reality that we were meant to come together to live life in such a way that we collectively image the glory of God to one another, to our neighbors and friends, to the world for generation after generation. You were meant to do that in your life, but it's not just your task alone. You were meant to follow hard after God's glory, but not on your own. By design, it's the church's role to be the vehicle of carrying that beautiful message of Jesus to the world. I said this last week, but I think it's worth repeating this afternoon. You and I can't accomplish this while we're isolated. we were never meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. We will never experience all that God has called us to experience unless we come together in concert together. Obedience to God in this area requires that We're connected to the local church. It's important for your life. I've been playing music for just about as long as I can remember, quite literally. And I've played in... Bands and orchestras and brass ensembles. When I was at university, and you know, all the, I put the trumpet away. Is retired. Don't anybody ask for that. That's that's in the past. Um, like Mark's saxophone days. I've had the privilege of uh, of singing in choirs and vocal ensembles and many many shapes and sizes, different groups. And and in all of those experiences, oh, cello player too, right there. I know you, you're with me. And in all those experiences, there's a phenomenon that sometimes happens. When you find yourself playing music with other musicians and and this moment happens where everyone just kind of sinks in and locks in and you're on the same page where you're thinking the same things, your actions, you're, you're lining up, you're doing the same things as if you're one unit together and you're in sync in a way that that is unbelievable and hard to describe. It's just a groove that happens. And each musician has their role. They have their own part to play. Each vocalist has their own melody or their own harmony. And in those special moments, you hit this groove and their roles become complementary in such a way that the music you're creating and producing is far more beautiful and far more powerful than if you were just playing on your own. It it is something beautiful to behold and to be a part of. The body of Christ is meant to live life together in such a way that we use our God-given talents, our spiritual giftings, our personalities that God has created us with, and they come together in such a way that we're able to operate and live life in that connection of being single-minded in this pursuit to make much of God. And when one of those is missing, there's a hole. When one of those instruments falls out, the, the sink isn't like what it should be. One of, the, one of those melodies kind of goes off track, like happens sometimes. And we're not perfect, are we? Things aren't quite what they should be, but by God's design, we're meant to be connected together. That's the point. It's meant to be done together. We're part of something bigger than one individual person. As we live in unity, we do things like this passage tells us to do. We we live humbly. We live sacrificially. We place the needs of others before our own individual needs. And that runs counter to our cultural mindset. Our culture, sociologists would call it a weak group culture. Um, that it's our, a weak group society. That What that means is that the needs of the individual far outweigh the, the, the needs of the group. So... Uh, in other places of the world, the needs of the the family would would overtake the needs of the niv- individual, but not not here. I mean, and our, our this is apparent in our values, the way we set goals in our lives. This is apparent in our stories. When we set goals for our lives, we think about ourselves, our talents, what I want to do, and secondarily, I think about my family and how it impacts my family. What's my job going to be one day? Well, that really is how I'm oriented, and what I want to do, my goals, and yeah, it may affect my family as opposed to what is the starting point? Being what does my family need? Well, I need to go in this profession, this trade. Well, that's not what I'm. That's not what we asked. What does the family need? That's two different things. And we see how in our own society, where we group culture from our stories. You all you have to do is turn on any Disney film, and you will see the story unfold in this way: that the hero or the heroine does what he or she wants to do instead of what is best for their family. I'm looking at Frozen. <laughs> I'm looking at Little Mermaid, Lion King, all these, these films that my kids love. And uh, how many times have you heard the advice, whether it's real life or on television or films, uh, just follow your heart? Notice you never hear the advice, follow the community of people and, and that you trust <laughs> and what they say. It's follow your heart. That's the way you know the way to go. We value our own personal identity over the group. And that comes into conflict when we read a book like this, the Bible, that tells us to value the group over the individual. It can easily come and cause friction in our hearts with the, pers- the things we personally value. But this is the only way we'll fulfill what God has for us, especially as it pertains to that mandate of, of glorifying God amongst the nations of the world to all generations. And it starts with us here in this room today, investing in those who are behind us, younger than us, other generations, so that they are put into a place to succeed when it's their time to then invest in the next generation. And there's two ways to see this. first, we have to invest in this way uh, uh, amongst those who are younger in years. Praise the Lord, man, we have a great team of people in our church who are so committed to to investing in our children and, and caring for them and making sure our families are equipped to, to invest in our children through the week and we have a great group of people who are working towards strategizing a plan for youth and I'm not just saying that because several of you are in the room doing, that are part of those teams uh, I've, i' said that this morning too that that Man, thanks be to God we have people who are committed and devoted to that. But that's not the only young I'm talking about. I'm also talking about those who are young spiritually. It is the responsibility of those of us who are older in the faith to invest in those of us who are younger in the faith, to care for them. We can all do that because all of us, regardless of how long we've been following Jesus, can find someone else who has not been following Jesus quite as long is not as far in the faith so, we all have this as an opportunity before us. And older members in our church, I mean that in both respects, we need you. We desperately need your wisdom. The church won't thrive the way it's meant to without you passing on your wisdom to the next generation. Us impacting the world and the generations of the world starts right here within our church community. A couple weeks ago, um, I come home and I turned television on and just happened to catch the world championships for the track and field events in, in Budapest. And uh, I think it was in Budapest, yeah. And, and I, I turned on the, the relay race, the four by 400 meter mixed relay race. And I just find that that event so fascinating. It's two women, two men on a team and they are passing the baton and, and it is amazing to see the talents of all, all those people. And, and as the race began, the Netherlands took out the lead early on and pretty much held it throughout the race. I mean, they're passing it from person to person and maintaining a very comfortable uh, lead. And on the final leg of the race, their ace, I mean, their anchor, the person who is the star of their team, is given the baton, Femke Ball, who is their up-and-coming rising star, and she just takes off with blazing speed and has a very comfortable lead. For 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters. I mean, it's like, this is it. There's no way that they're not winning. And they're on world, I mean, she's on, going to shatter the world record. She's so far ahead of that line. Um, and then, with about 100 meters to go, the closest rival begins to chase her down. And with about 20 meters to go, this woman is on her heels. And with about 10 meters to go, she leans forward with every effort to try to, Will herself across that finish line only to stumble and fall flat on her face, just two or three feet from the finish line. And then she picks herself up and jumps across, but she comes in third. And that meant her team now went from breaking a world record and winning to there in third. But then the commentators began to show the replay and what they thought was bad had just gone to worse because when she fell, she dropped the baton and it went forward across the finish line, which meant she couldn't hold, keep control of it as she crossed the finish line, which then disqualified her and disqualified her team. So not only did they not win, break a world record, did they not win, but now the whole team is disqualified. We are part of a relay, re- relay race that's been going on for thousands of years. And generation after generation has passed the baton. Some have done so poorly. Others have done so with amazing grace. For many of us, we're currently mid-lap. Many of us in the room are mid-lap. Others are farther along. Others are still just kind of maybe starting out. Either way, we have to remember that this race isn't just about you and just about me singularly. We must have one goal in our minds running in such a way that the glory of God is proclaimed in future generations as we faithfully pass that baton. And for that to happen, it takes every single one of us living life together. It starts with our baton pass. Is the next generation a concern for us? Is that on our mind? Are you investing in those who are younger than you, both in age and in the faith? If not you're missing out on an amazing, joy-filled experience. And they're missing out on the wisdom that you would have to give. So your connection to the local church is fundamental to walking in the plans and purposes of God for your life and for this world. The peak we're climbing toward is the glory of God, and there's no better summit to pursue. But all of that I've said today is meaningless if you have never actually started the journey toward the summit. Every single thing I've said today has been directed toward those who are already following Jesus. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, and you've never actually trusted in Jesus to be the way to make you right with God. Maybe you've never trusted Him to be the Lord of your life. The Bible tells us that every single one of us, without exception, are rebellious against God in our actions and in our hearts, that we have chosen to go our way instead of God's way. And what that has done is it has separated us from God. But God, in His, the richness of His goodness, sent Christ Jesus to live, to die, to take on the wrath that we deserve, and then to be raised in victory. So that if we believe in that, we trust in that, we bank our lives on that, if we admit to God that we're a sinner, that we are rebellious, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that heaven was, has sent him, that we confess our faith that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, that we can be made right with God. And if that's where you are today and you want to talk more about that, we would love to, to talk about that, to pray with you. Um, yeah, Either see us after the service or, or contact us online. We would love to talk more. Christian, all, all of this is a joint effort. Your ability to fully live the life God has for you is, Is dependent upon you banding together with the church. And many right here around us, uh, all the way to the ends of the earth, are dependent upon that. God using us to impact the lives of those around us to the ends of the earth is dependent upon that. He's counting on that. So that's why I close with these two questions today. One, how important is the role of the church in your life? How much does your life revolve around the church? And it's a similar question of what I asked last week, but I think week two we can press a little harder on this and keep pondering this and maybe ask it this way. Is being part of the church more truly a value in my life or simply a preference in my life? See, the, the difference is that preferences are things that we jettison when, when situations get tough. Uh, but, but values we hold on to. I used the illustration earlier of, of when it comes through the monthly budget, when things get tough, my preference to go out to eat, I have to jettison that because there are other things that take priority because I value these things. This is really just a preference. So the church in my life, is it a preference or is it a core value? So as you ponder that, I'm, let me just say one thing, that the emphasis here is not on doing more. It's not on doing more. It's about fostering connection. And don't get me wrong, the, the outcome here is going to be, the outf- outcome for connection involves activity and participation, but it's not a checklist of activities and participation. It's about presence in one another's lives. So secondly, I ask this, are you cultivating connection with the body of Christ in your regular routine and your rhythm of life? That's the path that leads us to that summit cairn that we're looking for, that we're pursuing the glory of God. Your connection to the local church is fundamental to your walking in the plans and purposes of God in your life and in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of the church that that helps us, that aids us in pursuing your glory, that helps us to be about the task you've called us to be. Thank you that you didn't leave it uh, for us to do this on our own, but you've given us the gift of community to do this in a community that builds us up, that encourages us, that holds us accountable, that, that sharpens us. Lord, thank you that, that you've given us the body of Christ to do that with. Lord, help us now to, to ponder and think about our lives. Lord, are, are we rightly thinking about the church and how we relate to it? Help us. Are we want to be walking in exactly the place you want us to be walking in? So help us to see, to know, to hear All that you have to say in Jesus' name, amen. And this afternoon, we're going to respond through song and through the table. And um, as we sing, we invite you to come. If you have faith in Jesus, to come and partake in the bread and in the wine. And it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And He took the cup at the end of the meal and he raised it and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Up until now, we've been all about the covenants, the old covenants, but this new covenant is dependent upon me. It's in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And this afternoon, we can partake in this bread and this cup, and we can celebrate not just the fact that we are forgiven and restored with God, but that we do so as a family of faith that we are joined together as one people in Christ because of what these things uh, represent. So as you partake, I urge you just to celebrate, to exalt God, to worship Him, that He has given you this gift.